0: Welcome to the best thing on the internet. House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Whether you're planning to buy or sell a house, call in now with your question. Our goal is to help you with any real estate transaction. So turn off the cat videos and pay attention. Here's your host, Duncan Smythe. Welcome to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe.
1: 866 472 5788 is our number if you'd like to give us a call. If you have a question, My guest today is Joe Gatchko. Joe is a real estate attorney who has been practicing real estate law for how long? 30 years, Duncan. Oh, my God. I didn't... (laughs) (laughs) You you definitely don't look that old. Okay, that was a little BS. Well, thank you. (laughs) So, um, tell us, what... When you were going through law school, what brought you into real estate law? Was it an interesting subject matter? I mean, do you take a lot of different classes, like a doctor goes through a rotation and decide this is
2: what I want to do? Well, the interesting thing about law school is you really don't learn that much. They kind of teach you how to think. And then once you get out of law school, you do the practical work when you work for uh, an attorney in a law office. That's where you learn your skill. So I worked for a solo practitioner when I first got out of law school, and The good and bad thing was is that I got thrown into a lot of things. The bad thing was you didn't explain it to me, so I had to learn it all on myself. (laughs) But early on, I was able to understand how to um, handle a real estate transaction from both the seller and the buyer side. Okay, so you practice primarily
1: real estate? Do you do like wills and that sort of stuff too?
2: Yeah, other than real estate, I do a lot of um, wills, estates. I do uh, some municipal work. I do uh, contract litigation. Uh, those are basically the areas that I do. Uh, when I say municipal work, I mean like drunk driving cases, okay. municipal court cases, uh, those type of things. Okay. Um, as a home buyer or a home seller,
1: when should I contact you?
2: Well, you can contact me um, when you start looking for a home or at the time that you enter into a contract. The earlier you contact me, the better it is for you because I'll be able to explain to you the comings and goings of a real estate transaction, either from a buyer or a sales side. This way, when you uh, enter into a contract, you'll kind of have the information you need ahead of time. You'll know exactly what's going to transpire at the time you sign the contract. I'm guessing most people don't do that. No, most people don't do that. <laughs> most people will call you after they um, have truck. selected a home. Okay you know, or they're close to signing a contract. That's when it normally takes place.
1: I frequently told clients that uh, the reason you want to talk to an attorney as soon as possible or as early as possible in the transaction is that uh, most, attorney, most attorneys in a real estate transaction charge a flat fee. Whereas if you decide to do it on your own and run into a major problem, then you contact the attorney, you're going to get charged an hourly rate for him to clean it up for you, clean up your mess.
2: Well, that's true. Um <laughs> It's, um, it's much easier for us to look at things in the beginning look at the contract. Um, but not many things get messed up early on. It's usually down the line when we're already involved if we see things that are going on that we can attend to. Yeah. I,
1: I've, a couple of questions I have about, um, in a lot of, we're in New Jersey, as any, my, any of my listeners know. Um, in other parts of the country, they don't use attorneys for closings. How does that even work? I don't get that.
2: Well... And that kind of concerns me in a lot, of, uh, a lot of ways because, as you know, by being a real estate, um, by being a realtor, you know that there are a lot of issues that come up during a real estate contract. And if you're not represented by a lawyer, I, I quite don't understand who is representing your interests. Yeah. Because many times the title company will be representing your interests, but they don't provide you with legal counsel on any issues that, be, that, that could be material to a contract. And the title attorney's primary job is, is
1: protecting the title and protecting the, the, the closing. It has nothing to do with protecting you as a buyer, right?
2: Exactly right. They're not going to look over a home inspection. They're going to look over the total report, how it affects them, but they may not necessarily uh, be looking out for your interests. It's
1: primarily their interest. That's in right. For. Yeah, I know. I totally get that. Uh, no, that's why we always, anyone who listens to this show regularly knows that I, I preach always, always get an attorney and line them up early. I give a list of uh, prospective attorneys to my clients and I say, listen, you want to contact this person as soon as possible because um, you just want to get them on board and get you want to be protected. That's the bottom line is you want to be protected. Correct. Now, if I'm uh, I'm a buyer or seller, uh, if I come to, say, interview you to be my attorney, what questions should I ask?
2: Well, what you want to know is I think today is the availability of the attorney and the communication factor. I think that um, in my office, what we do is we try to make ourselves as available as possible. Uh, we meet with clients in the evenings. We meet with clients on Saturdays and Sundays. I just had, this past Sunday, I had three meetings at 5, 5.30, and 6 with clients uh, who came in uh, to do various things at the office because they couldn't get in during a week. Mm-hmm. I think uh, communication is a big thing in that uh, you're able to uh, reach me not only during the, the work week, but I give my cell phone out to most of my clients. They're able to reach me at night. Um, my office operates by email so that if you need to get me by email, you can do that. So I think one of the initial questions is, is how available are you to assist us when we have this real estate, uh, real estate transaction going on? And of course, you want to know about the experience, how long you've been doing it, um, how many closings you may have done, uh, things along those lines that uh, people need to know. But also, you should ask the attorney initially, what what could some of the costs be that we might incur, either from a sales side or a buyer side, so that you're aware up front what the expenses might be. Uh, many times, you um, can go through a transaction and you're not advised as to what Uh, some of the fees are and then you get the closing and you get a little taken back by some of the fees that you thought maybe you could have been told in the beginning but are not told.
1: Yeah, and one thing I always um, again, I I repeat this over and over on the show is uh, you want an attorney who has experience a lot of experience doing real estate. There are a lot of people who are of the impression that um, any attorney can do a closing, any attorney can do, but you know something? Uh, One of my worst closings ever was with a it was, I guess it was a relative of my client, and they were a tax attorney. And she said, oh, we're going to use my cousin Jim, or whatever his name was, because he's an attorney. And he can do this. Well, he really screwed it up. <laughs> and I, and I, and that was early in my career, and ever since then I've always said, listen... Not only do you want a decent attorney, you want a decent attorney who does this all the time. Just like going to a doctor, would you go to a, if you needed brain surgery? Would you go to a dermatologist? It makes no sense.
2: Well, that's why, like today, many attorneys will specialize in what they're doing, mm-hmm. because with the changes that constantly take place in the law, you can't be you just can't be knowledgeable in, in every aspect mm-hmm. uh, of the law. So you kind of got to pick the area that you feel comfortable in that you have your knowledge in and stay with that just like I wouldn't try a medical malpractice case because I don't do it you don't do that you know I would find an attorney who does that what kind of continuing education do you have to take as a well we have to take every year 24 hours well let me say over two years we have to take 24 hours worth of legal education Mm -hmm. Um, most of it has to be done in the presence of a seminar someone who's providing a seminar Mm -hmm. some of it can be done online Mm -hmm. that's pretty much the same what we
1: have to do as realtors right Uh, what are typical attorney's fees not yours specifically but uh, what are the typical attorney's fees around for a buyer and for a seller
2: well it it really varies based on the area you're in um, I'd say around this around the Westfield Cranford Union county area, I would say it's somewhere between uh, thirteen fifty and fifteen hundred for a purchase and probably around twelve fifty for a sale, more work involved for a purchase I'm guessing a little bit a little bit more.
1: Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about um when I started to ask how to interview you but Uh, When you first meet a seller or a buyer, if I come to you the first time, what should I bring with me? What should I be prepared to have in my hands when I visit you the first time?
2: Well, if you're a seller, um, the thing is, unless I talk to you before you come to my office, Mm -hmm. you're not going to know what to bring. Of course. So the key thing to bring would bring the contract, of course. Mm -hmm. But if we do have a chance to speak, what I would tell you to bring would be your title insurance policy, Mm -hmm. your survey, and your deed. Okay. These are the documents that we will provide to the buyer's attorney so that they can do their own title search and it'll, it will expedite the process. Now, if you're a buyer, really uh, in the beginning, all you need to bring me so I can look at would be the contract the sell disclosure statement and maybe your prequalification letter so that I know that you've been prequalified by somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I like to do is, and I don't get the opportunity to do it a lot, is to actually meet my clients face-to-face before the closing. You know, I try to do it, but it's very difficult it because of everybody's happen. work schedule. Yeah.
1: It, it does. yeah, that doesn't always happen. So if I come to your office, I should have... Um, the, what if it's an
2: older home and I don't have a survey? Does that make a difference? It does not make a difference because if the survey is usually more than 10 or 15 years old, I would recommend to my client to get a new survey anyway. Yeah. Because things change. People... Um, you know, a lot of times, houses change hands three or four times in 15 years, sometimes more. So, there may have been additions or things done to the house that really necess- necessitate to do a new survey anyway. Have you ever had a case
1: with an inaccurate uh, survey where something was wrong or there was a defect of some kind in it? Sure, I've heard of that happening.
2: Sure. We, I had a situation where I had a client who was buying a property and we got the survey from the seller, and the survey indicated that everything was fine. There was no uh, encroachments, and what I mean by that, there was nothing from adjoining properties coming onto the property that my client uh, was buying. Okay. We did a survey, and lo and behold, the neighbor next to, uh, on the left-hand side of the home, had put in a fire pit, had put in a, uh, a deck, a patio, and it extended onto the property, by about three or four feet. <laughs> so if we wouldn't have done a new survey and used the existing survey, we wouldn't have known about it, but luckily we did, you know. Yeah, I don't, as, don't, a, I don't want to be sharing a patio with my neighbors. That's, no, you know. so okay. the neighbor had to move the patio and the fire pit and to, yeah. the other, to their property, basically. Yeah, we had a case in this office several years ago where a, uh, a house was actually
1: built because of a, a mistake in a surveyor's job, a, a surveyor done an incorrect survey, and a house was actually built a foot onto someone else's property. Oh. Boy, what what a nightmare that was in court.
2: And I had I had a recent, also had a recent situation where. A neighbor built a garage without a permit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why would you even think of doing that? That that puzzles me.
2: I probably. have no idea. Yeah, but the town didn't approve it, and the garage was three feet onto the neighbor's, onto the property that my client was purchasing. Wow! So the town made him take the well, I was uh, say, even take with, the garage even with, down,
1: even without the three feet. If I worked for the town, I would come in there and say, knock it down.
2: You well, know. if if there's no permit and nobody ever complained, you wouldn't know about it. That's that's true. Sometimes,
1: yeah, uh, yeah I guess you know. In, in a suburban area, you tend to see what your neighbors are doing, but in another area, you might not. You might not. Okay, we have to go to a break, and I just want to tell you before we go to the break that um, with Joe Gatchko, uh, if you'd like to contact him, it's jg at westfieldlaw.com. By the way, Joe, as a guest on my show, uh, you will receive either a house talk coffee mug or $10,000, whichever is less.
2: I'll take the mug.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent choice. Excellent choice. (laughs) We'll we'll be right back. I'm Duncan Smythe. This is House Talk.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at housetalkguy or email him at housetalkguy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at colossalmistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, duncansmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor.
3: Hi, I'm Joe Galita, President of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and acceptable customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage.
0: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to one 866 472 That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at housetalkguy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe. I'm with Joe Gatchko. He's a real estate attorney.
1: Uh, 30 years practicing. That's pretty impressive, actually. Well, thank you. (laughs) I've actually made it. (laughs) You're still here. You're still alive. Um, What is... uh, What is the most common mistake made by a buyer?
2: Well, I think one of the common mistakes is that um, when you enter into a contract and you've agreed upon a purchase price and maybe you think that you might have overpaid a little bit um, or just feel that, you know, you paid the asking price. A lot of times, buyers have the misconception that they have the right to to renegotiate the purchase price at the time that we do the home inspection. It's really apples and oranges. Um, there are reasons why you enter into a contract and pay the price that you pay. Obviously, you like the house, and you didn't want to lose it. And you had your realtor help you, assist you, and give you the proper advice to pay the, the amount of money that you're paying for the house. But when you get to the home inspection, the home inspection is um, not, not to be used to have the entire house uh, renovated. It's really only to request that the seller make material repairs or repairs to material defects in the house. We're talking about structural repairs, repairs to the systems like the heating, electric, plumbing, environmental issues, roofs. And if none of these things are defective, but you want to try, say, to get a new roof because it's 20 years old, but it's not leaking but you want the seller to give you a new roof because in two or three years you're thinking that maybe you'll have to put a new roof on. This is what we sometimes have to face and we have to discuss that with the, with the potential buyer and say, look, you know, um, you pay the price, we can negotiate fairly when it comes to home inspection issues, but we can't raise issues that really are not issues that are material. Yeah, uh, I had someone not that long
1: ago uh, you know, as you said, they thought they had overpaid for the house once they'd gotten it under contract. And uh, they decided they wanted new windows because the windows in the house were original windows. It was a house built in the 1940s. And I I gently put them in their place and said, no, this is not something that you can ask for. It's not fair to ask for that. I, it's, you have to, uh, you negotiate up front If you want to offer less for the house because it has older windows, go for it, but, but once you've gotten it under contract, that's not part of the negotiation.
2: And a, a lot of other questions I get are about this as-is mm-hmm. in a contract. If you read the contract, in most contracts, there, there's a clause that says the house is sold as-is subject to a buyer's right to do a home inspection. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes when a seller sees that it's as-is, they think that it's as-is and they don't have to do anything, yeah. and that the buyers are going to do their home inspection for their own information, when in reality both sides, if it's actually as is, that means that the buyer is waiving their rights to do a home inspection, and they're not gonna make any claims for any repairs. And in 31 years of practicing, I, I think i would only had that done when there was a builder involved. Yeah. You know, we don't, I don't normally recommend that anybody waive their home inspection. Never. So sometimes we have to clarify with the buyer or seller what actually as is means, because sometimes it's actually even written in the contract yeah. That the buyer is accepting the property as is yeah. and all that really means is that the buyer is accepting the property the way in its current condition subject to the right to do an inspection yeah and if we get that language we have to clarify it so that both the buyer and seller are clear as to what their rights are i tend
1: to tell my buyer clients um, that every house is as is to some degree because you're buying the house as is if it needs if it's a need of repair that's one thing but any upgrade uh, or maintenance issue that's off the table, pretty much, once you've done it under contract. And I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, if a homeowner decides they want to make a home addition, they want to put a home addition, and they come to you, what is, the, what is the best place to start? Should they talk to you first? Should they go to the town first? Should they go to an architect first?
2: Well, I think they initially they should go to the town and find out whether it's viable. They mm-hmm. need to take their survey there, let the... Um, let the zoning officer take a look at it and see whether, um, you know, you have certain setback requirements. And what that means, setback, is how far from the boundary lines you can actually construct uh, an addition or build a home or put a deck up. And I think initially that's what you need to do is you need to at least get a, an initial uh, idea of whether you can do this or not. Mm-hmm. And then you should probably see an architect, um, And then you come to the attorney, and then we can determine, uh, after you spoke to the town, whether you need to, uh, maybe maybe you need to get a variance or not. And that's done basically by looking at the survey, talking to the architect, talking to the town officials, and then we can make a better determination. I'm thinking, uh, from my experience, every town is a little bit different to deal with. Yeah, because you're, de- you're dealing with different personalities, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. each town has different setback requirements yeah. and other requirements if you want to build uh, an addition. Because there are
1: state building codes, but then the town has the right to, to declare a setback or a footprint size, that kind of thing? Right. Okay. Correct. So they have... So they have Through a... their own zoning ordinance. So after I decide I want to put on a family room addition, uh, I would probably approach the town first to see if it's even viable or... Or maybe draw something out on a piece of paper so the zoning officer would tell me this does not fit the setbacks or that kind of thing before I approach an architect who's going to cost me money.
2: Correct. Yeah. Because you can at least get the zoning officer is there to help you. Mm-hmm. And they can look at a situation, and tell you whether they think, yes, it's something that we would entertain, but it may also be something that has to be approved by one of the boards in town. And the zoning officer can tell you, well, you need a variance for this or a variance for that, and then you'd have to go to the various... Zoning boards to get those variances in order to build uh, build the addition. Okay. Um,
1: a couple of a couple of email questions that I wrote down earlier today. Uh, my fiance and I are closing on a house before we get married. Uh, how is this handled legally?
2: Well that's a good question. And how much handled is this? It depends on the individuals. Now you can, take, you can take ownership of the property when you're not married basically two ways. Either what we call joint tenants with right of survivorship or as tenants in common. Tenants in common means that you and your, you your fiancé, okay, each would own a 50% interest in the property. Okay. And that means that if one of you would die during the ownership of that property, that you would be able to leave your 50% interest to whomever you wished. It doesn't have to go to your fiancé. You can leave it to your mom, your dad. Your dog, your pal, whoever you want to. Mm-hmm. If you take title as joint tenancy with the right of survivorship, what that means is that if one of the one of the uh, of the couple would pass away, then the surviving person would automatically take that property. Is that most common? Uh, most people who are getting married to um, do opt for the joint tenancy with the right of survivorship. What I do do explain and recommend to my clients, though, is that if you if you do decide to do that, that you understand that if you break up, okay, you can't sell your 50% interest without the other party agreeing to sell it. There you go. So if you have differences, you break up, and you, you don't agree on value, it, it could lead to, uh, to a lot worse things. So what I always recommend is that even if parties are getting married, that they enter into an agreement so that in the event they do split, how the property gets divided yeah. and that they agree that the property's gonna get divided a certain way and that they'll list it. So this way, these types of issues that might come up before you got married mm-hmm. or will come up even after you get married uh, can be handled up front.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like, a, it's almost like a prenup where, where you, uh, you don't really want to think about it when you're in love. That's right. So you don't think it's gonna happen, but Correct. things like that happen. And I've had, it, I've had it happen several times over my career. <laughs> Have you really? Um, another email question how do I get my ex-wife off the deed (laughs) (laughs)
2: well (laughs) is that even possible (laughs) if she voluntarily signs it that's fine but it's gonna come down to whatever your divorce agreement stated Uh, usually in a divorce agreement it's gonna say who uh, which spouse receives the property or if the property is to be sold and the proceeds are to be split between uh, the the two spouses Mm -hmm. but in a situation where you have um, a divorce and one spouse is getting the property, then at the time of the, at the, time of the divorce, um, a deed should be prepared at that time, a quick light deed or any type of deed to transfer that spouse's interest to the spouse that's receiving um, the property. And the reason for that is there's specific language that has to be inserted into the deed to ensure that someone who buys the property from the spouse who's receiving the property um, knows that that one spouse has given up all marital interest in that property. And the deed has specific language uh, to cover that. And we would put that language in. Now many times I get situations where you have a spouse who has the property, the property settlement agreement says that spouse gets the property, but the, spa- the other spouse never signed the deed. And they both think that's because it's in the property settlement agreement that that automatically transfers title to the spouse getting the property, which it doesn't. Upon the divorce, if you have a deed and you get divorced and it's not transferred to the one person, then each, per- each person still owns a 50% interest in that property, even though the one party thinks they own 100%. Which you
1: graphically illustrated why you need an attorney when you do this. <laughs> right. And you're, abs- and you're absolutely right. Um, let me see, uh, my ex has not paid child support. Can I make a motion to take the house? How does that work with shops? Well,
2: you, you can't take a motion to take the house. What you can do, though, is you make a motion and then you get a judgment that would attach to the house. Okay. Okay.
1: And that would attach to their half of the
2: house in the event of a split, I guess? Does that... Well, if you, if you still own the, the property together, mm-hmm. okay, um, then you really wouldn't get a judgment against your own home. Okay. okay? Right, that makes sense. Okay. Um, but you can get a judgment against your spouse that's enforceable against his or her interest when the house is sold okay. by virtue of a divorce. Okay.
1: Um, let me see, What do I, I wanna get into that before the break. I was gonna ask about, um, are there different legal issues when you're buying a multifamily home as opposed to a single family?
2: There is. Um, if you have a three family home or more, three units or more, okay. then the home is, um, has to be registered with the state of New Jersey. Okay. And the state of New Jersey is the governmental entity that will oversee the regulatory, um, the regulatory um, guidelines okay. Okay. For, for a three-family or more unit. Okay. And with that, type of, with that type of unit, where you have three or more uh, residences, it has to be registered, and the state inspects this property every five years. And they have the right to issue an inspection report and then you have to make those repairs within a certain period of time, or they can fine you. Okay. If it's a two family or less, then the local um, housing authority here in Westfield or in Scott's Plains or wherever you are in New Jersey, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the government entity that would oversee um, those type of residences. Okay,
1: we have to go to a break. When we get
2: back from the break, we have
1: Ken on hold waiting to talk to us. So let's take a break. This is House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at housetalkguy or email him at guy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at colossalmistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, duncansmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor.
3: Hi, I'm Joe Galita, President of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage.
5: You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Scholdenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at housetalkguy.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe. I'm with Joe Gatchko,
1: a longtime real estate attorney. JG at Westfield Law is his email address if you'd like to contact him. Uh, we have a caller on the line, Ken. You're on yeah, House hey, Talk. Hi,
6: hi, Ken. Hey, how are you? Good. Okay, good. Uh, okay, so I just want to make sure I ask this question correctly because I'm, I'm far from a real estate expert. Uh, I'm interested in purchasing a property that's a corner property. It's a very large house, but it looks like it's large enough to subdivide. So I was wondering what's the legal process and what steps are the appropriate ways to go about it to see if it's even possible before I would purchase such a property.
2: You have to go to the town again and speak to the zoning officer. Um, And hopefully, you know, you'd be able to get a survey from someone, uh, say the seller, And Mm -hmm. then um, you'd have to speak to the zoning officer and find out what the zoning requirements are. And to even even begin to think, uh, if you could uh, subdivide it, because you'd have to knock it down. Because there's going to be certain certain, uh, frontage. You may need 50 or 60 or 70 feet by, uh, the length might be 100. And you're going to have to speak to the zoning officer, and they're going to be able to tell you whether it's going to be viable or not.
6: And then at that point, would I then engage, like, with a real estate attorney to, uh, to, to, to that, move forward, it, I guess, with the purchase? And would the purchase include the subdivision, or would the pur- it, would, would it be first be a purchase, and then you go about subdividing it?
2: Well, I think what you would want to do is you would definitely want to ensure if you're not going to buy this property unless you can subdivide it. And right. before, before you do that, we'd have to make sure that you could subdivide the property, and we'd have to probably right. have a meeting with the town. But gotcha, okay. you, can always make, you can always make a contract contingent upon a subdivision. Uh, right. But most times people are not going to want to do that if they've been living in a one-family uh, one yeah. residence, you know. That's true. Yeah, that's Karen, true. In, so, in some cases you, can, you
1: might be able to subdivide it without a variance. That's entirely possible. But, you know, just by walking into the local zoning board, uh, they would probably have that on a map of some kind that they could tell you if you could subdivide it as is or you would have to go for sure. a variance. Because as, uh, as Joe said, there are certain setbacks that are required, of course, and, and wherever you are.
6: Okay, great. And one more uh, very simple question. I was wondering, um, on a uh, when you refinance a property, uh, are there any advantages to using a lawyer or just uh, going through the process on your own?
2: Well, I think um, a good thing uh, of having a lawyer again is you have somebody who looks at the title, um, and not only looks at the title, looks at the title report to make sure there's no impediments to title um, that if there's any um, older mortgages uh, that exist on the property. I have a situation now where I have a woman who's refinancing and she came to me. Uh, the problem is that she has a current mortgage but she has an old mortgage that's 25 years old that was obviously paid off at the time that she refinanced her current mortgage but that lender never, that lender never filed a discharge of mortgage. So now we gotta track down and to, to ensure that the proper discharge of mortgage gets, uh, gets recorded.
6: Interesting. All right. So that, Okay, so just better safe than sorry in a situation like that.
2: Correct. And you, right. have a, you have a legal set of eyes looking out for your interests.
6: Absolutely. All right, guys. I appreciate it. I'll continue to listen. Uh, big fan Thank talking. You. Thank you. Thanks for
1: the call, Ken. Okay, we have another call. We have another call. Uh, Sarah from New Jersey. Hi, Sarah. You're on House Talk.
4: Hi. How are you? Good. Good. Um, my question to you is, my, my husband and I are looking to purchase a home. And I know that um, my significant other tends to get cold feet. Um, at what point can you get out of a contract? Let's say that we find a home that we like, we put in an offer. At what point is it too late to get out of the contract uh, when we're bound to it, um, what, what do we do and, and how much time do we have to make that decision?
2: Well, in New Jersey, there's something called a um, attorney review period. Uh, when you sign a contract that's been prepared by a realtor, um, you have three days to disapprove the contract through an attorney um, if you decide that you don't want to uh, move forward with the contract. Now, that period of time can be extended if an attorney sends a letter disapproving the contract on your behalf. But if, okay, Uh, I'm having a hard time here hearing myself. Um, So the attorney review period starts the day that the contract is signed and all parties receive a fully executed copy of the contract. So, you have three days to terminate the contract through an attorney if you decide that you don't want to move forward with the contract. Now, if either attorney has issued an attorney review letter on behalf of their client, then that time period extends until attorney review is concluded, which is basically when all parties agree to the terms of the changes that are set forth in the attorney review letter. So, that could be four days five days seven days or it could be two days depending on if the attorneys get the letters out quickly so you automatically if you use an attorney you can cancel the contract three business days from the date it's signed so if you've signed it on a friday you can cancel it up to wednesday of the following week without any reason after the attorney review period is concluded then you only have the right to cancel the contract if you fail to meet one of the contingents and you say you get denied for a mortgage. Or if you have home inspection issues that you can't resolve with a seller or a buyer, then either party has a right to cancel the contract at, at that point. Hopefully okay. that answers your question. Did we answer your question, Sarah?
4: It does, but let's say that we've gone through home inspection and all of our contingencies are met. Is there, is there an out or do we have to go through with it at that point and there's basically no turning back?
2: Well, if all the contingencies have been met and you're getting near closing, then you really don't have grounds to, uh, to terminate the contract. It would be considered a breach of the contract, and uh, the seller could sue you for damages if the seller, uh, if you don't close, if you're a buyer and the seller sells the house for less, or if you're a buyer and the seller doesn't close, you can certainly move uh, to court to specifically enforce the contract. Uh, it doesn't happen that often, but you have the right to do that.
4: Okay, so what you're saying is just
2: be sure before we buy. <laughs> you should be sure before you buy, but you do have that three day period that you know you have the re- you know you have the opportunity to speak to your attorney. You can ask ask questions. You can speak to, with your realtor again with your mortgage person, and you know we all like to we all like to work in concert together for your benefit, so that you get. Um, you know, you get my 30 years, you'd get Duncan's 30 years, you'd get the mortgage person's years of experience, so you'd have a lot of people advising you properly as to what to do.
4: Fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help.
2: You're welcome. Thank, thanks
1: for the call, Sarah. We appreciate it. Okay, we have, have. Thanks a lot. We have Sandy on the line. Hi, Sandy. You're on House Talk. Hi, Duncan. I have
4: a quick question regarding um, oil tanks. I am looking to purchase a home and I'm told that I should be doing a tank scan and I'm not quite sure what the importance of it is and what it all means. I hear, well, if the tank's abandoned or it's sand filled
7: or um, it's been removed, but there's contamination, I'm not, I'm not quite sure the whole process and what all that means.
2: Well, let me explain that to you today. Um When i represent a buyer in a home buying a home i always recommend that they have a tank scan done now first if we know that there's an active underground oil tank on the property my suggestion is that we tell the seller to remove the active underground oil tank and put one in the basement i never like my clients to get involved on a property where there's an active or inactive oil tank now if there is a decommissioned oil tank on the property then I always recommend to my buyers that the oil tank be removed. I've had several instances over the past five or six years where clients have purchased properties, left the tank in the ground, only to find when they sell the property and have to remove the tank that there's contamination. Last year alone, I had three buyers who were purchasing properties. that were decommissioned underground tanks where, this, where the town had actually come in and approved the tank closure. We asked the seller to remove the tank. They removed the tank, and there was contamination that needed to be remediated. Oh. So the basic, the basic answer is you never know what's underneath the tank, and it's better to have the seller have the responsibility to remove it if you're buying a home. Now, if I'm representing a seller, my advice to the seller is let's wait and see what the, what the buyer asks. Because if you give them a certification from the town saying that the, that the tank was properly decommissioned, you might get a buyer or a buyer's attorney that doesn't care. And if that's the case, then you don't have to pull it out. But if they ask you to pull it out, my recommendation usually is, is that you're not going to be able to sell a house unless you pull it out anyway. But every okay. now and then you get, you get somebody who doesn't really, um, doesn't really follow the, the new rule of law, which is to have a tank removed.
4: And if they do have it removed, and I've gotten to that point, then I change my mind afterwards because then I don't want to move forward with the house, am I
2: still obligated? Well, it depends on how, um, how that is set up in the internal review process. When I, when I speak to my clients, normally what I do is I give them an option. Um, if there's soil contamination, then usually I say to them, the soil contamination can get cleaned up fairly easily. If there's mm-hmm. groundwater, and that means that the, the contaminated uh, oil has gone into the water supply, then I usually give my clients an option to either move forward or to cancel the contract at that time. Thirdly, if the, um, the water has got into a neighbor or the contamination has gone into a neighbor's property, um, then I give them the option of canceling as well. Okay? But okay. that's something that you discuss with your attorney up front as to what needs to be done, what the factors are when you have soil contamination versus groundwater contamination, and a lot of times, we put those provisions in, but when the tank comes out, we have a discussion with the seller's attorney, with the uh, remediation company, because I like to discuss exactly what's going on when I represent a buyer with the remediation company, because I've been through these tank, um, tank removals and contamination situations many, many times. And a lot of times, I can get a comfort level where I can explain it to my clients and they then have a comfort level, knowing that the contamination is going to be able to be cleaned up and that um, the pro- they can buy the property. Now, what we may have to do is at closing, uh, we may have to hold an escrow once the property is cleaned up and there's no further contamination because the state of New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection will have to issue a no, what we call a no further action letter. And we may have to hold money at, uh, at the time of closing until we get that letter. But as long as the property... As long as we get an idea of what the cleanups going to entail, and I know from speaking with the uh, remediation company as to what they're going to do, then I can give my client uh, the proper advice and they can make an intelligent decision as to whether they want to move forward or not.
4: Okay. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you.
2: Did you answer your question?
4: Yes, he did. Thank you.
1: Okay. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, speaking of environmental issues, um, do you run into this regularly with, with asbestos and, uh, and uh, I guess... Uh, Radon
2: gas is a problem everywhere in the country. Do you run into that a lot? Sure, we do. It, um, and, you know, there's certain levels that are, that are acceptable as far as radon by the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection, and that is um, in unlivable areas, say most people call that the basement, it's 4.0 what we call picocuries per liter, mm-hmm. and if it's in livable sections, then it's 2.0 picocuries. And normally what we do is, as a buyer, uh, the home inspector does a radon inspection, and they'll send that to a lab. The lab will will do an analysis, and they'll give us um, a reading as to what, if any, the the radon level is at a home. And then from that point forward, we'll make a determination whether um, remediation is needed or not needed. And as far as asbestos goes, we do run into asbestos on piping a lot around the heating, Uh, the heating pipes, Um, normally if there is asbestos in the basement, um, we we recommend that the asbestos be removed.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the best course of action. Okay, uh, when we come back from the break, we have Barbara on hold. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of minutes. I'm Duncan Smythe, this is House Talk.
0: stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com if you like what you're hearing on the show today or if you have a question or comment for duncan contact him on twitter at housetalkguy or email him at housetalkguy at gmail.com Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at ColossalMistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, DuncanSmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor.
3: Hi, I'm Joe Galita, President of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage.
0: stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com you are listening to house talk with duncan smythe to reach our show call in to one 472 that's 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at housetalkguy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe, and I'm still
1: on with Joe Gatchko, real estate attorney. Uh, and we have uh, Barbara on the line. Barbara, welcome to House Talk.
7: Hi, how are you?
1: Hi, Barb. Hey, Barbara,
2: how are you?
7: Good, good. Uh, I have just a couple of questions in regard to uh, rentals, uh, with uh, the security being the the, the main issue. Um, Can I use my security deposit for my last month's rent?
2: If you're the tenant or the landlord, which are you? Okay,
7: but not, okay, so then in other words, if I'm, you're giving your month's security.
2: No, in what situation are you asking, if you're the landlord or the Tenant. Tenant. I'm oh. um, the tenant. No. Well, you're not supposed to uh, use your, um, your security deposit because the security deposit was deposited on behalf of the landlord so that in the event you damage the apartment, that uh, they have some security there to make, make the repairs. Right. A lot and of people there, do it. A lot of people do it, but damage, they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm.
7: If there wasn't any damage, do I get my security deposit back?
2: Yes, you do. And what I always suggest with my clients is that you take pictures of every room, every wall, the ceiling, the floor, the appliances. You take a video, if you have it, of every room. Because then, if the landlord comes back and says, oh, you know what, you damaged this, you damaged that, you then have the photos and the video uh, to dispute that. Because we, you know, landlords have a tendency to like to to hold on to um, the security deposit. Now, with regard to security deposit, a landlord cannot charge you for normal, normal wear and tear. They can't charge you to have the apartment painted or to have the carpet clean, things like that. They're not permitted to charge you for that. Those are normal wear and tear charges.
7: Okay, I understand. Now, with, with that being said about security, how soon does the landlord, if there is no damage and everything is okay, how long does he have to refund the tenant's security? 30 days oh he has 30 days yes he does okay and another question sure does the landlord have to pay interest on my security deposit
2: yes the landlord is supposed to deposit into an account with your social security number and it does earn interest which is payable to you at the time that you leave now he can he or she can charge an administrative fee for that each year so honestly um By law, he or she has to put an interest bearing account. Okay? Did we answer your questions, Barb?
7: It sure did, and I thank you very much. Thanks very much for
1: calling. We have Sally on the line. Hi, Sally. You're on House Talk.
7: Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, Yeah, I just have a question about youth and occupancy. So we're selling our home, and um, uh, we don't – we haven't – been able to identify a property yet, and the closing date is coming upon us, and we're going to really have nowhere to go. Can we, can we ask to stay in our house? Can we ask to rent back from the um, from the buyer at the amount of mortgage that we're paying right now?
2: Well, you can certainly ask at the contract stage whether um, a seller uh, is able to give um, a buyer is able to give a use and occupancy for a certain period of time. Um, if you can work that out between you and uh, the buyer, then we can prepare what's called the use and occupancy agreement, and it contains all the information and um, pertinent um, provisions to protect both parties. Now, normally what happens is that with a use and occupancy, um, a buyer is g- going to request that the seller pay uh, a per diem based upon their mortgage, their principal and interest, uh, their taxes, and the homeowners that they're paying.
4: That's ne- of.
2: Yeah, that's the norm. But it can be negotiated. It, it really depends upon um, what's discussed at the contract stage. And if this situation is something that you are really looking to have done, you should uh, speak to your realtor about it and have mm-hmm. your realtor discuss it with the other side at the contract stage. Because then you'll know whether the buyer is willing or unwilling. And know, you can know then at that point what you need to do.
1: Sue, so we have another call, and I have to take that. Do, okay, do we answer your so Thank you. Okay,
7: appreciate it. He sure did. Thank you.
1: Thanks a lot. We have another call. Uh, uh, Dave. You're on the air. Hi, Dave.
6: Hi, Duncan. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, it's interesting. I, I have a question as well about uh, landlord-tenant arrangements. Uh, I'm actually okay, we, have a, we, have about, we have about two minutes. Okay. Okay. So, so the quick question is simply: um, what is what are the laws protecting either party? Uh, if there actually isn't a signed lease, and I know that's a bad idea, but whether it was a family member, a friend, uh, acquaintance, even a stranger, are there any laws protecting the two parties if there isn't a signed lease agreement?
2: Yeah, there is. The, um, if you do not have a, a lease, it's called a month-to-month tenancy, right? and it certainly favors the tenant more than the landlord, because in New Jersey, if you have a... Um, a one or two family home or a three family or less home that the owner lives in, then the landlord has the ability to, um, to evict the tenant. But if you have a home, a single family home or two family home and both apartments are rented, the tenant has all the rights. The, the landlord can only remove a tenant for specific reasons which are set forth in the tenancy statute.
6: Right. But the landlord still has a right to do things like raise the rent on an annual basis, let's say. That's okay.
2: correct. And there, and there are certain forms that the landlord has to use and send to the tenant within a certain period of time to increase the rent.
1: Very good. Excellent. Dave, 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 we have to go. But thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate Very it. Very helpful. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Joe, we just got one minute left. And I didn't even get to all the questions I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you about uh, short sales, and we didn't get to that. Uh,
2: Uh, Let me see. Well, Well, let me just, let me give you a brief, uh, a quick synopsis. Uh, A short sale is where the lender has agreed to allow a buyer to purchase a property for an amount less than what the mortgage is. A foreclosure is when a bank is, is actually going to take your home away from you and then they'll take title and sell it to a third party.
1: Is that a situation where you want to have an attorney if you can afford one? Oh, you definitely need to have an attorney represent you in no, either case. The, the process, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me see. We've got about. Uh, we have just got one minute left, so let me ask you. Um, how has working with me made you a better attorney? oh wait I'm sorry we're out of time Oh, we'll go into that next time (laughs) well thanks for having me I appreciate it I appreciate you being on I'm on with Joe Gatchko real estate attorney and if you'd like to reach Joe or have a question for him it's jg at westfieldlaw.com you can hear me again right here next week at the same time 6pm Eastern 3pm Pacific right here on the Voice America Variety Channel thanks to my engineer Michael Surgett and my executive producer Brandy Jackson If you missed any part of today's show, or you'd like to listen again, go to my show page right here on voiceamerica.com, or you can download this as a podcast on iTunes. Uh, Have a great week. I'm Duncan Smythe, and this is House Talk.
0: Thank you again for tuning in to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Like us on Facebook and join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.